Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, must be heard and obeyed. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, I asked a very provocative question in last week's message. And that question was this right here. Did Jesus make a mistake? Did Jesus make a mistake? Did he make a mistake when he told them that some of them, some of those disciples there with him, they would not see death until they had seen Jesus in his kingdom glory and power? Well, they all died before he came again. And even we, we're still waiting for his second coming. So I said that you would have to come back this week to get the answer to the question. And I will answer that for you, but I'm going to hold you in suspense for just a few more minutes. All right. So we're continuing here then today in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, this harmony of the gospel messages in which we are following this text in which the messages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have been harmonized or put together into one flowing chronological account of the life and ministry of Christ. Today here then, gloriously transfigured, gloriously transfigured from Matthew 17 and Mark 9 and Luke 9, the harmony of those passages of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Here is the key thought that I want us to take away from our message today, and that is this, Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, must be heard and obeyed. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the law and the prophets, and he must be heard and obeyed. little context. Last week we saw how Jesus slowly opened a blind man's physical eyes, a slow opening of physical eyes. But then we also saw how the disciples' spiritual eyes were being slowly opened to the true identity of Jesus. But even so, they still did not understand his mission. They understood he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. They were increasing in their grasping of that, their understanding of that. But they still didn't understand his mission because they were expecting a conquering political king a conquering political Messiah. And so they became confused when Jesus spoke of his being rejected, of dying on a cross, but then being resurrected. Just imagine if you were one of his disciples and you had seen the evident power and authority with which Jesus spoke and the miracles that he performed, and now it had been revealed to you he is not only the Messiah, he is the Son of God. How excited must you be? Like, wow, what a Messiah. What a kingdom he's going to rule. And we're going to be there with him in it. But then he talks about being rejected, about dying. And not just any death, death on a cross, the worst way to die of all. Cursed in their minds, right? 
but then being resurrected? Can you see how they might have been a little confused about that? I think we all would be, right? But then Jesus said something very curious. And I asked that provocative question. Was Jesus wrong? Did he make a mistake in what he said? Well, let's refresh our memory with what he said there. It says, Then Jesus called the people to himself and said to them all with his disciples also, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul and is himself destroyed or lost? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he will reward each according to his works. And he said to them, But assuredly, I say to you, There are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom and the kingdom of God present with power. Did Jesus make a mistake? He said that he was going to come again in glory with his angels. He would reward each according to his works. But then those curious words, But assuredly, I assure you, some of you standing here now, you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom and the kingdom of God present with power. Hmm. He had spoken of his second coming, and now he says, you know what, some of you are going to see that. You're going to see that before you die. But the disciples all died before Jesus came again. Was he wrong? Did Jesus make a mistake? I'm going to give you the answer right now. I've been waiting. You've been waiting a whole week. You ready? Okay, I know this is going to be a shocker. No. <laughs> Jesus didn't make a mistake. Well, well then, well then how do you explain that then? Well, I think the answer to that question is found in what immediately follows that statement. Context, 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 right? Yes. So he said that, and then let's look at what immediately follows that in the scripture. Starting in Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9, the harmony of it says here then. Now it came to pass, after six days after these sayings, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves to pray. And as he prayed, he was transfigured before them. The appearance of his face was altered and shone like the sun, and his clothes became shining and glistening, 
exceedingly white, like snow, as white as the light, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and they were talking with Jesus, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So first of all, I just want to set a little context for us here then. Uh, here is a map of Palestine, of Israel in the New Testament times. Here is Jerusalem here. Up here is Nazareth in Capernaum, the Galilee region here. Jesus had been ministering. Remember, much of his ministry, the great majority of his ministry, took place in this tiny little region right here. Jesus had ministered among them, and he, in this region here, had fed 5,000 men, along with women and children, probably 15,000, 20,000 people. And he was making a powerful statement about his identity as the bread from heaven. And, of course, his disciples understood it, and they grasped it fully, right? And never questioned it again after that. No, they didn't. They were still slow. Those eyes were slowly opening, right? So from there then, again, he was receiving opposition from the religious leaders and rulers. So he went for a time into this region and ministered among Gentiles in that region. And then from there came back into this area called the Decapolis, which is a Gentile region. And there he fed 4,000 men, mostly Gentiles. And, of course, the disciples, once again, they said, Lord, here are all these people. How are we going to feed all these people? Completely forgetting about what he had done with the 5,000. It was actually technically a smaller problem than the previous one, and yet they're, they don't know what to do, right? And again, how often do we do that, folks, right? So they saw that. Then, from there then, Jesus took them, went back into this region, and then eventually up into this area here called Caesarea Philippi. And that's where we have that statement where Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And Jesus says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him and says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. He says, what? for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, by people, but how? By by my Father in heaven. Boy, you got to think, Peter's riding high at this point, right? <laughs> but then what follows right after that? Jesus then begins to speak of his rejection and his death. That he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, but he will rise again. And what does Peter do? Oh, no, 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 Lord. He rebukes Jesus. He says, this is not going to happen to you. And Jesus says what? Get behind me, Satan, for you have the things of man on your mind, not the things of God, right? This brings us then to where we come to in our text today. It is not far from Caesarea Philippi, there is a high mountain there called Mount Hermon. Looks like that. That is Mount Hermon in the far north of the land. And so I believe it was somewhere up in here is where Jesus was gloriously transfigured that we just read of a moment ago. 
want you to notice one thing. What do, what, what's, this, what's this stuff up here? That's snow, right? So with that in mind then, so Mount Hermon, about 9,200 feet high, given its proximity to Caesarea Philippi, it would seem like the proper spot for the transfiguration then. So we see that Jesus is transfigured. He had said, some of you standing here, looking at his disciples, some of you, now who, as it turns out, were those some? Peter, James, and John, right? They were the some he was referring to. He said, some of you standing here would not taste death until you'd seen Jesus in his kingdom, glory, and power. Now, some have suggested, well, perhaps that could apply to his resurrection and ascension. Well, certainly Jesus was seen in glory and power in his resurrection and ascension, wasn't he? But Jesus said what? Some of you will see that. Well, all of them saw his resurrection and ascension, didn't they? Well, some said, well, maybe it refers to Pentecost, when the kingdom came with power and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But again... Who saw that? Some of them? No. All of them saw that. So I think he's referring to the transfiguration. It certainly fits best in the text. It's what immediately follows there in the text. And only some of them, namely who? Peter, James, and John saw it before they died. What did they see? They saw, did they see his kingdom Splendor and glory and power up on that mountain? They absolutely did. So was Jesus mistaken? No. He's referring to the transfiguration here. So with that question answered then, let's consider the significance of what happened on that holy mountain. That word translated, transfigured here, comes from the a Greek word metamorphothē. Metamorphothē sounds a lot like what English word? Metamorphosis again, which is what? It's a a change from within, a change in form. So here then was a revelation of his glory and power. Now previous to this, if we could be transported back then and we were looking at Jesus, Would we have thought that there was anything, just to look at him physically, would we have thought that there was anything unusual or different about him? I mean, he looked like anyone else, right? But now, (laughs) he doesn't look like anyone else. He is gloriously transfigured. His form changed. It was like the glory and the power that he had Before the incarnation, the glory and power that he had in heaven, and incidentally, now has in heaven now, right? The radiance of his glory as the Son of God was seen in his face that shone like the sun. We see those powerful descriptions in the book of Revelation about the appearance of Jesus Now, if we were, again, if we were living in the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, if we were to see him, we probably would not have thought there was anything unusual about him at all. He would have looked like anyone else. But if we were to see him now in his heavenly kingdom, glory, and power, and splendor, would you think, he looks a little different than the average man, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, he does. 
He did then on the mount, and he certainly does now. His clothes were shining and glistening. They were white like what? The snow tells or the snow. Okay, I just gave it away. White like what? The text tells us snow. Hmm. There aren't too many mountains in in uh, in uh, Palestine that have snow. Guess which one does? Mount Hermon that we were looking at, right? So his clothes were shining and glistening, white like the snow. Perhaps the snow on Mount Hermon. Another reason to hold that the Mount of Transfiguration was Mount Hermon. His clothes were white as light, whiter than any launderer on earth can make clothes. I have a really embarrassing confession for you. Are you ready for this? Some of you are just going to shake your, shake your heads and say, unbelievable. And then I have a question for you. I'm going to admit I have this question, and somebody can fill me in afterwards. Okay, Don't answer it now. All right? Don't embarrass me in front of everybody here now with answering it here now. But here's something I discovered. I discovered that there's this stuff called bleach that you can put in your laundry, and it makes, your, it makes your, like, your whites get a lot cleaner. See, I have this shirt. Is, uh, Skip, don't tell the fire chief this. But uh, we ha- I have this white uh, fire department shirt, okay? And, you know, it's, I wash it, okay? I wash it. But you know what? Frankly, it was getting a little dingy, all right? It was getting kind of dingy. And then I thought, you know, I've heard that bleach will white and white clothes, right? So I put some bleach, and guess what? It looks like a brand new shirt coming out of there. It's like, wow, this bleach stuff works really great. My whites are whiter. <laughs> well, here's my dumb question. Somebody can say, can you, I've heard, can you put bleach in with like colors too and they, they's good? No, you don't do that? Okay, all right, I got my answer. All right, so I was wondering, it's like, wow, the, this white looks so much better. What if I put bleach in with the other? Well, those, it's, I thought bleach, but the advertisement says it makes your colors brighter, doesn't it? What does that mean? Okay, never mind. Let, let's forget that, right? So anyway, that bleach got my shirt really white, bright again. But I tell you, that was nothing because this was like no launderer on earth can make white, clothes that white. So what's this all about? Well, his clothes were white as the light, whiter than any launderer on earth can make clothes. Well, because in Scripture, white is associated with what? With purity, absolute purity and holiness. And so Jesus was transfigured to show his exceedingly great Glory and holiness, purity. Now, why were only Peter, James, and John permitted to see this? Why not all the disciples? And the answer is, I don't know. But perhaps as the leaders, they were leaders among the disciples, As the leaders among the disciples, God chose to give them more revelation at this point than he did the others. Is it unusual for God to lead the leaders first before they lead the rest of the people? No, God does that all the time, right? So he was giving these leaders among, they would, all of the disciples would be leaders one day in the church 
But these were the leaders among the leaders. And even among the leaders of the leaders, there was one leader in particular. Who was that? Peter, right? So perhaps that's why. So Jesus is transfigured. And then he speaks with Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah appeared from heaven in visible form and talked with Jesus. And what did they talk about? His death, his coming death, his crucifixion in Jerusalem, which is not far away at this point. And we might ask, okay, well, why were Moses and Elijah present? You know, from all of the people of the Old Testament era, why specifically Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham? Why not Abraham? Why not Samuel? Why not David? Why not Isaiah? Or why not some other Old Testament figure? Why specifically Moses and Elijah? Well, because Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And the Old Testament or the Jews referred to what we call the Old Testament, they refer, it, the, the Jewish people didn't refer to their, their Bible as the Old Testament, did they? <laughs> their scriptures, one, of the, one term that they referred to it, they called it what? The law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Moses, because Moses was the lawgiver, Elijah was considered the greatest of the prophets. So why Moses? And Elijah, because they represent the law and the prophets. So again, we may ask, okay, because of the law and the prophets, well, why? What? Because all of the Old Testament scriptures are pointing to Christ, who is what? The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Everything has been pointing to Christ and to this moment that's about to occur before too long, in Jerusalem. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Why? Because he perfectly obeyed all of God's law. By the way, you know, I've said this before, but just a a reminder for us here. When we were saved, we were saved by Jesus' death on the cross, right? Through taking the punishment or the judgment for our sins upon himself, right? We're saved through that. But are we not also saved by his life? We're saved by his death, but we are also saved by his life. How so? We're saved by his life in that what? He perfectly obeyed all of God's law. What does God require of people? Perfect holiness. Well, his death was the punishment for our sins, But his life was the fulfillment of God's righteous requirement of perfect obedience to his law. So we are saved by his life of perfect obedience and by his death, that substitutionary death, the punishment for the fact that we have not kept the law. We're saved by both his life and his death. And the resurrection is what? Is the glorious stamp of approval on that and the triumph over it over sin and death. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. 
He perfectly obeyed all of God's law. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Meaning what? The one whom the prophets foretold would come. Jesus then is the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the be-all, the end-all of the law and the prophets. And so here then, Peter, James, and John are given a foretaste of the glorious and powerful kingdom that Jesus promised. They saw him in his kingdom glory and power. And they witnessed his great kingly power as they saw him transfigured before them. You know, it's possible by this time it had become very late at night. What happens when it gets really late at night to you? Well, we start to get a little tired, right? This is quite a, quite a thing to behold, but it's getting late. Look what happens next. It says, but Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. So here we see Peter speaks. Peter seemed to sense the significance of the event, for he suggested that they make three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And what were these tabernacles? These tabernacles were tents or shelters that recalled the dwellings of the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings at the time of Moses. And so Peter saw then in this event the fulfillment of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, which looked back to the wilderness wanderings, but also looked forward to Israel's full enjoyment of God's blessings when he would gather his people to the land. So Peter was correct in understanding. He was seeing a foretaste of the kingdom, kingdom glory, but he was wrong in the timing. The kingdom in that sense was yet to come. It's interesting. I think Peter is speaking. He doesn't know really what to say. He feels like he's got to say something. And I think he's kind of rambling here and speaking. And as Peter is rambling and speaking and saying these things, he gets cut off by God the Father who speaks. I like how the text tells us, while he was still speaking, what happened? God begins to speak. Has that ever happened to, to us sometimes, you think? We're, you know, we're just kind of rambling, and then God just says, wait, oh, oh, and speaks to us, right, at that moment. So Peter was still speaking, but then a more important voice, a greater voice, spoke from a bright cloud that had enveloped him. And that, what did that voice say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. 
Now, does this sound familiar? A voice from heaven saying something like this about Jesus? Yes, we did at the baptism, right? We see when Jesus was was baptized, how the voice from heaven, the Father, said what? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So we hear that once again. But here, the Father says something else. He says what? Hear him. Now he says hear to him. Hear him. It doesn't just mean let your, you let your physical ears register what he's saying. He's saying what? Hear him in obey him. Yeah, hear him, understand him, obey him, listen to him. And so this authentication of the Son of God by the voice of God carried great significance for the disciples. And it causes them to fall down on their faces before him in fear. Now this is fear of the Lord right here, right? What happens next then? We see, when the voice had ceased, Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes and had looked around, they saw no one but Jesus only with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen while questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Likewise, how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must also suffer many things at their hands and be treated with contempt. And then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus says to them, "What? wait, wait to tell. When the voice ceased, Jesus touched the disciples. He told them to get up, do not be afraid. When they got up and looked around, they saw no one there but Jesus Moses and Elijah had departed. And as this small group returned from the mountain, Jesus told them, don't tell anyone what they had witnessed until after he had risen from the dead. Why? Well, because there were some people who were already trying to take Jesus and make Jesus king by force because they didn't understand his mission. He did not come to be at that time their political king. He came to die for sin and rise. So there are already people that were doing this. And now if news of this event became commonly known, perhaps others then would have attempted to make Jesus king. This was not God's plan at that time. So he said, wait until after the resurrection to mention what you have seen here today. Wait to tell. And then he says, Elijah, but, but, but our scribes tell us that Elijah must come. And Jesus says, well, Elijah is coming, and he has come. Now that's not double talk, right? 
Elijah is still going to come before Jesus comes in his kingdom glory at the second coming. But he has already come. How? In John, John the Baptist, right? So this event was a taste of the kingdom, but the disciples were puzzled. Many were teaching that Messiah, but before Messiah could come, Elijah must return. But Jesus explained that Elijah must, in fact, come, and he will do that. That's from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. But Elijah had already come in the person of John the Baptist, and his ministry was not recognized. And instead of receiving John the Baptist, they had rejected him. And just as they had refused to acknowledge John's ministry and instead rejected him, Jesus, too, would be rejected. Remember at the first announcement concerning the birth of John, Zechariah, his father, had been told that he would go before the Lord. He, John, would go before the Lord, what? In the spirit and power of Elijah. So Elijah is coming. Before Jesus comes again in great glory and power, Elijah will come. But Elijah has come in John the Baptist who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And just as the forerunner of Messiah was rejected, so too will the Messiah himself be rejected. Peter and the others were told by the voice from God the Father, hear him, listen to him, obey him. Do you think Peter learned that lesson? Yes, he did. (laughs) Yes, he did. Now, did Peter understand everything immediately? No. Did he always obey perfectly? No. Did he ever stumble along the way? Yes, he did. We know of the denials. But even after that time, the resurrection, the ascension, a time when the Apostle Paul confronted him for his hypocrisy, Was Peter a perfect servant? No, he wasn't. But he was a faithful servant. In other words, Peter was a lot like us. Peter did indeed learn this lesson from the Mount of Transfiguration. He did learn to hear Christ, to listen to him, and to obey him. And he passed along that instruction to others. I won't read it all now, but if you look in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 15, he gives us a wonderful accounting there of how then we are to live as followers of Jesus. Hear him, meaning what? Hear what he is saying. Hear his word. Listen. Obey. We see these things that pertain to our character and how we are to live as followers of Jesus. And after saying all of that then, he says something here in which he refers back to this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. By the way, one more reason why we say Jesus was not mistaken when he said some of you will see this, this kingdom glory and power that he was referring to the Transfiguration. Look at what Peter says in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 Verses 16 through 21, he says, Peter speaking here, 
For we, that is we the apostles, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What's he talking about? The transfiguration, right? He was commanded to hear him. How can we hear Jesus? How do we hear him? Well, let's go on, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the process of inspiration, which produced what? This, the Word of God. So how are we to hear Jesus? How can we hear him? We're not standing there with him now in his earthly ministry the way the apostles did. But no, he is with us and he does speak to us. How? In his word. In his word. So what? Remind us, Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, must be heard and obeyed. Must be heard and obeyed. So I would say, first off, hear Jesus. How do we hear him? In his word. But hear doesn't just mean in one ear and out the other. It means what? Obey. Listen to these words of James, the half-brother of Jesus. In James chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 through 25, he says, But be what of the word? Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Hear Jesus, obey Jesus, but praise Jesus, though, too, for his grace. Law and grace. The law can't save us. It only condemns us. It reveals the truth about us. We're saved by grace through faith, right? We have a re- but yet we have a responsibility to obey But in doing so, we must rely on his power and learn to rest in his grace. You know, this was something that I was just speaking with someone about here just not too long ago. Something that I I try to be careful of in Scripture is I know that sometimes I I, I don't want 
the preaching to just be, okay, folks, here's a list of everything where we're falling short and we need to do better about this and this and this. Well, the reality is, is we are falling short, aren't we? And we all need to do better in following the word of God, don't we? But I don't think that the gospel, the gospel is not a list of, of rules and regulations to follow. The gospel is good news, right? That we have a Savior who has perfectly followed the law for us. And we are declared righteous and holy in his name through faith in him. And he pours out grace upon grace for we weak human beings, doesn't he? So we have a responsibility to obey, but also, though, remember God's grace, God's patience, God's forgiveness, God's enabling, his power. Listen to what John, who was also on that holy mount, said. Listen to what John says in John 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word, Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, like those waves of the ocean, God's grace just keeps coming, right? For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Hear him. Hear him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. I pray, Father, that we would hear you and not be like what James speaks of, hearers only who deceive ourselves, but be doers to listen to you, to obey what you are telling us. Thank you, Father, that we, if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not condemned. Our sins are forgiven. And you pour out abundant mercy and grace upon grace. But let us, Lord, take up this call and this challenge to listen, to obey you, to honor you. God, I pray for each one of us here that as we are hearing this now, Lord, that you would impress upon our hearts, Lord. Maybe there's something that you've been speaking to us about and we have not been listening. Lord, may we hear what you were saying to us through your word and obey that by the power of the Spirit, for your honor and glory, and rejoicing in your grace and mercy. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.